0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: It's Friday, March 24th, and welcome to another episode of The Ben Jurofsky Show. On today's show, Ben welcomes back investigative reporter for Injustice Watch, the FOIA hunter herself, Kelly Garcia. The Ben Jarowski Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader chicagoreader.com for everything there is to know in the city of chicago where to go what to do what to eat what to drink and so much more hey you like columns from ben jarofsky they're right over there at chicagoreader.com oh yeah throw on a jarofsky at the end it's just gonna be chicagoreader.com forward slash jarofsky to find all of his columns all of his bonus stuff all that that's j-o-r-a-v is in victory s-k-y
2: Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarowski here. We're calling this. <laughs> Say what, Tom Tunney? Friday, and here's why. Yes, indeed, it's Friday, which means it' a week, and distinguished guest Kelly Garcia sitting on deck, ready to take the deep dive with me, and all the news of the week are the news that we want to talk about anyway. From Injustice Watch, of course, that, Kelly Garcia, finally known to show us, KG. Um, but uh, So I'm going to get us started uh, with this uh <laughs> With this uh, bit of worldview professed by uh, Tom Tunney uh, in today's Chicago Sun-Times. So, all right, long-time listeners of the Ben Jorowski Show uh, know who Tom Tunney is, but just in case there are a few stragglers who don't, let me uh, offer this little primer on Tom Tunney. In fact, I was just talking to a lefty, uh, a scholarly lefty, uh, on on the phone today, not name names, who did not know who Tom Tunney was. So I realized that just because I know something doesn't mean everybody knows something. All right. Tom Tunney is the alderman of the 43rd Ward of the uh, city of Chicago, which is in, uh, excuse me, the 44th Ward, my bad, the 44th Ward in the city of Chicago, which is, if you're thinking of a map, Belmont and Clark Street, part of the north side, uh, just around Wrigley Field, where the Cubs play, north side of Chicago. He's been the alderman of that ward since 2002. He's appointed to that position uh, by Mayor Richard M. Daly. And he was been victor- has been victorious in every single election ever since because they love Tom Tunney in the 44th Ward. Uh, he was a Daly loyalist, he was a Ram loyalist. Uh, and he started off as an ally of Mayor Lori Lightfoot. She appointed Tom Tunney uh, to be head of the zoning committee. A very prestigious spot in the Chicago City Council. I would argue one of the three most important positions, chairmanships in the city of Chicago. If you want to be in a slot where every single developer, every single like architect, every single community group has to come to you and beg for your support, you should be the chair of the zoning committee because the zoning committee is where they hear all the plans that would require zoning changes. All the development deals go through the zoning committee. So I would say finance chair is the most potentially lucrative and powerful position in the city council. Uh, Ed Burke showed it could be very lucrative uh, when he was running it. I would say housing committee is very important because there's a lot of federal housing money goes through it, but zoning is right there. All right, so Tom Tunney's leaving. Uh, and he gave a farewell interview to the Chicago Sun Times, leaving the city council, not running for re-election. Uh, and here's what he said: The Sun Times, Frank Spielman, asked him why he thought Lori Lightfoot lost in this last election, and here's what Tom Tommy said: Lori Lightfoot was too focused on South and West, and basically told downtown and the North Side fend for yourself, whether it was. Police, whether it was economic development, it was only really at the tail end of her career that she had an idea about remaking LaSalle Street. You can prioritize south and west and underdeveloped neighborhoods, but you can't dismiss the economic engine for the city that actually pays for many of these programs. I think her overemphasis, while loadable, on south and west neglected downtown and neglected the north side. Let's just pause, ladies and gentlemen, and think about this. Neglected the north side and downtown for the south and the west sides of Chicago. That is so preposterous. That is so astoundingly ludicrous. I would say any Chicagoan, no matter who they're going to vote for in this election. No matter whether they're going to vote for Paul Vallis or Brandon Johnson, or maybe they're They're not going to vote at all because they're too left-wing or too right-wing for either of these candidates. Any Chicagoan, if you fed him or her an honesty bill so they had to tell the truth, if you did to them what Jim Carrey's character was done in Liar, Liar, and he can no longer tell a lie, and they were compelled to speak the truth, and you asked them, which communities of Chicago are neglected and which communities of Chicago received the lion's share of investment? They would tell you the South and the West sides are neglected. That has been the history of Chicago for as long as I can remember. Beyond my memory, even old man Ben, beyond my memory. The North side is where the money is, and that's where the money goes. We all know that. The notion that somehow or other Lori Lightfoot was neglecting the North side and the loop to benefit the West and the South side is as ludicrous a statement as anything that has come out of the mouth of Rhonda Santos and Donald Trump. It's just a, such a perverse twisting of reality. You have to sit there, but it's breathless. Like, you know, what? I got to be impressed on one level that Tommy Tunney can actually say this with a straight face and not worry. You know, I don't know. Don't Like when you commit a sin, like blatantly lying about the way the universe is, don't you have to repent for it? I hope there's somewhere he's going to repent for that sin of lying. So, I mean, we all know this. Just drive through Chicago. Look at the south side. Look at the west side. Look at the north side. Look at the loop. And tell me which is the neglected neighborhood. Tom Tunney, if you think your Lakeview community is being neglected for, I don't know, Roseland, Austin, Englewood, why don't you move to Roseland, Austin, Englewood? Why stay in the neglected north side of Chicago? Move to the land of milk and honey, where Mayor Lori Lightfoot is just throwing the goodies. Absolutely Chris. I'm gonna just now. That's just what we all know, just from just driving through the city and living in the city. But I'll just give you some of the basic facts. The three most significant economic development deals of the post-COVID era that Lori Lightfoot, well, even began her administration with. COVID really tied up the city and limited its ability to. Uh, spend economic development programs. But the three biggest that she came up with, one, the casino, which is in River North. Two, Lincoln Yards, which uh, was approved by Mayor Rahm, the city council at the the last meeting of Mayor Rahm, and that she uh, ushered in and fought to preserve in court. And then three, it'll go nowhere, but her proposal for a new Bear Stadium. None of those are on the south or the west side. If you take a look at the TIF program, which is the single largest piece of economic development dollars that the city has at its disposal. Talk about the TIF program all the time. I will now go to the city's clerk, uh, excuse me, the county clerk's website where they keep track of these things. And I will read to you the top neighborhoods for TIF TIF money. Here they are, LaSalle Central, downtown. Total revenue for uh, the last year that they kept track, $175 $175 dollars Kinsey conservation area west side near west side not west side hardcore where it's really poor but gentrifying the west side around the chicago stadium area 90 almost 100 million canal congress the loop 55 million near north which is just what it says like the gold coast 40 41 million central west which is west loop 39 million. Chicago-Kingsbury, which is around where Cabrini-Green used to be until they obliterated on the north side, 38 million. River West, 37 million. Pilsen, which is gentrifying, moving, basically moving everybody out to a higher property taxes, 33 million. The point is, the way the TIF program is, is constructed, it always benefits the well-to-do. Now let's take a look at the south and west sides that are supposedly thriving. Uh, under Mayor Lori Lightfoot, according to Tom Tunney. Austin, Austin, which is far west side, where, by the way, Brandon Johnson happens to live, they got 2.3 million in one year. Roseland, far southeast side, that's where Paul Vallis began his life before he moved out to Palos and went to Carl Sandburg. They got $428,000. 428,000 the programs for poor communities that's what they got compared to like 175 million for one TIF district downtown and finally the two TIF districts in Englewood combined got about 7 million this just underscores what everybody knows there's a poor side of town and there's a rich side of town and the poor side of town is not the one being neglected just astounding that Tom Tunney would say this. And I'll tell you, one, I'll go one step further. He himself on a personal level sort of personalizes how the North side is beneficiary. Follow me is. Tom Tunney was not an early supporter of Lori Lightfoot. He was kind of Johnny-come-lately back in 2019. She still made him zoning chair. Again, one of the top three positions. Somewhere in the middle of COVID, Tom Tony got in a very embarrassing situation. He owns a restaurant in Lakeview. Uh, all the restaurants are supposed to be closed for indoor dining. It was the height of COVID. You recall this? We called it the cinnamon roll speakeasy. His restaurant specializes in cinnamon rolls. That's what he's famous for. <laughs> he's made a fortune off of his cinnamon rolls. We'll have another discussion at another time whether that they're that good. But for the point is people love his cinnamon rolls. So we joked about it. He was operating, he was operating a restaurant up on the second floor, I think it was, of the restaurant. And if you gave a certain code to the guy at the door, not nah, three times on this <laughs> on the ceiling. <laughs> give him and you give him the secret password. I don't know what the secret password, cinnamon roll. They would let you in. You go sit up in the cinnamon roll, speakeasy. That story broke. We talked about it on the show. It was embarrassment. He still kept his zoning chair. You know, he was acting in defiance of the mayor's order, the governor's order. He was acting in defiance. He was profiting and all the other businesses were playing by the rules. We're getting screwed. He still kept his chairmanship. And now he is crying that somehow or other, the north side is the victim. And the south and the west sides are what? The triumphant. The north side is being neglected. At the expense of the South and West Side. I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, to me, that's as outrageous as anything that's come out of the mouth of Donald Trump. All right, Kelly Garcia, you sat through my opening rant and rail. I had to get it out. As soon as I read that, Kelly Garcia, I just said, I had to get that off my chest. Do you have any thoughts on that before you move on?
0: I have so many thoughts. I have been dying, burning to say something, almost interrupted you like three times. Um, So first, back to investments for a second, because I already know what people are gonna say. Well, Lori Lightfoot championed the Invest Southwest program, which we've talked about here before. The Invest Southwest program are short-term investments. They are short-term investments that are also bound to go nowhere depending on who the next mayor is. So let's just say that for the record. Second of all, the last line in his quote to the Sun-Times, but you can't dismiss the economic engine for the city that actually pays for many of these programs. The implication there is that the people on the south and west sides don't contribute to the local economy. Let's not forget 26th Street is the second, most commercial corridor in the city of Chicago that makes more money behind Michigan Avenue. And yet it's still a neglected area. It's still a very neglected neighborhood of the city, but it generates a lot of money for the city too. So the implication that we don't make money, that we don't pay the money for any of these services, even while we don't receive that is, is jarring so i just i had to say that really quick about the tom tunny uh article
2: no i that's uh uh that's a great point uh and it, it it there's like underneath uh what Tunney is saying is sort of this notion that i hear expressed quite a bit usually from maga people uh not from someone who's supposedly a social liberal, well, Tom Toney, uh is not so liberal when it comes to um, like union issues, let's say, uh, but um a social liberal. I don't usually hear a Democrat saying this, and it's like the attitude that we pay for them, which is what you're getting at. We pay for them. And I'm like, who's the we and who's the them? And it's really inaccurate because them pay too. Uh And again, as I pointed out, like the TIF program is property tax, so everybody pays for it. Uh, And the lion's share goes to gentrifying areas. So effectively, the people who live in Pilsen now are paying more in property taxes. uh, And as a result, we'll probably have to move out. Their community will be the beneficiary of the most economic development spending, but it will be at their expense, if you follow what I'm saying because they will be moved out by rising property taxes. That's where that fight is going, just near where you're talking about the 26th Street. But by the way, folks, that gentrification may spread to the 26th Street uh, business corridor that you were uh, alluding to as well. Uh, Yeah, the
0: discount discount mall, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, set to close this weekend. Many of the business owners who have been setting up shops there for decades are moving out that is just for a lot of people there, that's gentrification creeping into little village. Yeah.
2: So anyway, uh, uh, we'll move on from this. I, I truly hope uh, that you're not going to the polls with a sense of feeling of victimhood uh, because that would be as inaccurate as I don't know, uh, some white person in Michigan voting for Trump for a sense of victimhood or some, uh, Someone down in Florida voting for DeSantis out of a sense of victimhood. It's a manufactured sense of victimhood. uh, And you know better. Absolutely, you know better. All right, Kelly, uh, I know you got something on your mind. Uh, Take it away.
0: Yeah. So this week, Block Club reported that Riot Fest is trying to make a comeback. Well, they're trying to return to Douglas Park after a summer-long backlash from residents who have been fighting against these large music festivals moving into their neighborhood park and destroying it essentially um, so recently they reported that Heat Wave which is one of the New York music festivals that moved in and Lyrical Lemonade Summer Smash are moving out of Douglas Park. Uh, Summer Smash is going to Bridgeview and Heatwave is going to Northerly Island. Riot Fest however is requesting a permit to Host their three-day long, four-day long festival now into Douglas Park. Um, so, because of a lot of the protests and the actions against um, the actions of residents fighting against these music festivals, the Chica- Chicago Park District did make a, an amendment to their code requiring large music festivals to get approval from the board. So that's why we don't know for certain that Riot Fest will be taking place at Douglas Park. They'll have to get approval from the board. Um, I have a lot of respect for Block Club, however, but I did have—I do have to note that in their article, at one point they say that um, you know the large—the concern is that these large music festivals they bring in a lot of money that the Park District relies on income for, but that's not necessarily true. Um, the Chicago Park District only gets six percent of their revenue from park fees. So the people like Riot Fest who are paying to set up shop in the parks have to pay a fee to actually host their festival there. But they're not actually contributing a lot to the revenue of the Chicago Park District. So I just have to correct that for the record. Um, But, you know, residents are, you know, still concerned. Riot Fest is still the largest music festival at Douglas Park. Um, You know, now the worry is going to be that there's space for, you know, another music festival to move into Douglas Park. So. You know, it's going to be up to the board. I'm sure residents are already lining up to speak at the next board meeting. Um, but yeah, that's a concern now uh, on the west side.
2: Well, you uh, wrote a lot of stories about that last—I uh, think it was last summer. I'm losing track of time. I know you came on our show and uh, and and talked about the work. Uh, you, uh, I think it was, we were still at the uh, the reader. Uh, yeah. That's my memory of it. Uh, and so the general uh, conflict is whether the park. Uh, will be open for residents uh, for whatever recreational needs people have for a park. You want to play softball, you want to fly a kite, you want to go for a walk, you want to play soccer, whatever people use a park for Uh, and whether a park will be treated as a chunk of vacant land that the park district can rent out uh, to a private concern to throw a rock concert, which then preempts the use of that park uh, for local residents and then there's the preparation time which goes to the park for preparation ahead of the event and then there's the cleanup after the event um has the park district in your opinion uh, ever given a compelling reason to locals why it's in their interest to give up access to the park in the summer again summer We live through some pretty dreadful uh, months called winter and spring, uh, early spring in Chicago. Not a lot of fun uh, to go outside. So people in Chicago love to go outside in the summer and use their parks. Has the park district ever given a compelling reason to people in uh, the neighborhoods as to why it's in their best interest to give up the parks?
0: Yeah, so the Park District has argued that there is a community engagement process when they allow these big music festivals to essentially, you know, buy, to rent. The parks, um, But a lot of residents say that there is no real true intentional community engagement process. Um, Riot Fest specifically, and I reported this for the reader, they did a meeting last year during the summer, right before the music festival, where they they pass out flyers, they said, this is an opportunity for Douglas Park residents to come and talk to us about their concerns about what they would like to see from us. Um, and I attended that meeting, I recorded that meeting, and all, all we saw from that meeting was a representative from Riot Fest implying that residents quote don't understand pure english and that their concerns weren't valid and that they've done everything that they can to address their concerns um but again there's no true relationship between the community and and riot fest specifically um like you said for a lot of concert goers they think that riot fest is just a weekend at douglas park but really it takes weeks right so for the entire month of september residents don't get access to the park because Riot Fest is setting up and then the music festival happens and then they have to take another couple weeks to break down. Um, So it's a lot. It's a lot for the residents. It's a lot for the people who play soccer there, right? There's youth soccer leagues that take place at the park that now have to go elsewhere during the summer. Um, So like you said, we're talking about recreational activities that are good for families, that are good for young people that are essentially being evicted from the park.
2: Yeah, well, that, uh, like I said, that all too often in the city of Chicago doesn't view parkland uh, as parkland that citizens of Chicago would want to use. They view it as uh, vacant land uh, that could be pawned off uh, to developers. And that brings me to this one on a related topic. Uh, the, the the stories broke this week, uh, about, uh, Lollapalooza, uh, and NASCAR and taste of Chicago, all sort of converging, uh, in grand park, uh, roughly the same time or throughout the summer, uh, taste of Chicago being rescheduled because of mayor Lori Lightfoot. Now that's funny. Tom Tunney didn't complain about, <laughs> he didn't complain about this. Uh, but, uh, mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, Tom, if you would complain about this, I've been with you on it. Uh, Lori, Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, turning over Grand Park to NASCAR uh, and as a result, uh, bumping a Taste of Chicago. I think it's going to be moved to September. There was a great article in Black Club. I got to give a shout out uh, to Melody Mercado, uh, enterprising reporter for Black Club, uh, who submitted a FOIA request uh, from the Park District uh, asking for information. Uh, about uh, Taste of Chicago being moved to accommodate NASCAR. Uh, and I have to tell you, I'm pretty much, uh, Kelly, out of the FOIA game. Uh, <laughs> I, listen, I believe most FOIA uh, requests, they put reporters through something, a bogus exercise uh, and, uh, to before turning over documents that probably should have been Put out for the public to see from the get go, so I just think uh, it's just a way of what torturing reporters, humiliating reporters, making it harder for reporters to do uh, with their job, uh, and also obviously the public because if a reporter can't see the documents, Joe Q Public can't see it uh, either. Uh, so anyway, they make you go through this game of filing freedom of Infra- freedom of information act request to access public documents that probably should be available anyway it's a freaking scam and my hats off to all the reporters out there and there's lots of great Like kelly garcia is one they just they know the game they write the letters they dutifully follow up they go through hell sometimes they have to go to court sometimes you gotta hire a lawyer or maybe if you're mick dumpke you go represent yourself uh mick dumpke always kind of wanted to be a lawyer anyway so he's really proud of the fact that he beat the city at the foyer yeah. <laughs> is that kelly garcia showing me state exhibit a what what are you showing me
0: what <laughs> I, I for for our listeners i am showing you hundreds and hundreds of fully redacted pages i got recently from a FOIA from the cook county state's attorney's office so just an example of the work i wow. do here it's great stuff that
2: is unbelievable ladies and gentlemen. wait hold on i'm going to take a picture of that and we're going to post it on our um I am going to definitely take a picture of this. Kelly Garcia holding up a completely blacked out piece of paper, ladies and gentlemen. This is the response she got from the state's attorney's office. I don't know what it was that you asked for, uh, but this was their response. So she had to write a letter. She had to go. I'm sure you had to wait what? Did they make you wait the seven days? A
0: year. I waited a year for for these records. (laughs) You waited a a
2: year year to get that?
0: Wait to get that. Yeah.
2: So she filed the request. She went back and forth with the bureaucrats at the state's attorney's office. Uh, and then ultimately they turned over. It's completely blacked out. Piece of paper. There's white trimming around the edge. The only part of the paper that's not blacked out is the edge, which is just like <laughs> white. It looks like a work of art. It's like, a uh, this is black on white. It's. uh. <laughs> so what are you? Uh, this was. Are you going to respond in some way? Are you are you filing a, an appeal or how are you going to react to this?
0: You know, we're probably going to get lawyers involved. Probably going to get lawyers involved. So,
2: <laughs> wow, that's Cook County State's Attorney. So, uh, uh, Melody uh, at Block Club had a very similar experience. She was dealing with the Park District, and uh, so she goes, "I'm right. I'm reading from her article." Uh, Block Club submitted a public records request March 7th to the Park District asking for officials' emails containing keywords such as Taste of Chicago and "Grant Park. Two weeks later, the agency released 121 pages of emails. Almost all of them were redacted, making it impossible to see the contents. The park district even hid the contents of a message discussing how to respond to block clubs records requests, though it didn't react, redact the subject line, which says importance. High." this is a freaking. here. I'll show you the I'm the, um, showing Kelly the, um, the the redacted emails. Uh, and I've done stories from time to time on this, Kelly, about the official explanations that they give uh, and they the official explanation. Uh, as to why they keep information from the public that the public should know about, like in the, in this case, with what, what went into the decision to move Taste to Chicago, what went into the decision to um, offer NASCAR uh, offer Grant Park to NASCAR, uh, and the official explanation is that uh, Park District officials, in this case, or bureaucrats in general, should feel free. Uh, to give counsel and to uh, the leaders who have to make the decisions regarding, in this case, public space. Uh, And if they knew, if those uh, advisors to uh, the powers that be knew that their advice was going to be heard by the public, they wouldn't freely offer their advice. And so as a result, to protect their ability to give the best advice they have, to the officials they reserve the right to keep the public from knowing what that advice is that is the most up is down and down is up explanation i've ever heard we are the people who you work for <laughs> we should know what your logic what your logic is what governs your decisions these matters why you think it's a good idea to turn grant park over to nascar what's the evidence of it before we could sign on to it what's the evidence how much money are you going to bring in how much money is it going to cost how much in police overtime is it going to cost is it going to mean i don't know in this case diverting police resources from one area of the city to another area of the city all these basic questions kelly the public should know but no their argument is If they're gonna give that inside information to the park district before it makes its decision, they must be free to give it in secret so they can tell the truth. (laughs) Like, what are you gonna, so is that, that sort of implies that whatever you're gonna tell the public is gonna be a lie, you know what I'm saying? Like they're telling the truth behind the scenes, but then when they come forward, they tell a lie so it makes no sense a sense on any level, as far as I can see. Do you see any logic in there, Kelly, at all for the policy of of uh, keeping the public in the dark?
0: No, I mean, it. You know, there was someone did bring up a concern about a security issue when it comes to festivals. When we're, you know, filing a FOIA request for information about uh the use of our parks especially for large events absolutely there can be a security issue but we're not we're not requesting that right what melody was requesting was emails was communications about the transition about the negotiations the deal that was made right so i you know i I don't think there is a logic there um bring in the light am i right so
2: yeah, that's what uh, Lori Light said. She said she's going to bring in the light. And then before her, Rob said he would be the most transparent mayor the city has ever had. Uh, uh, and yet uh, we're still uh, uh, in the dark. Um, uh, so anyway, it's good business for the lawyers who, by the way, sue the park district uh, and uh, who have to end up suing, like I guess the Cook County state's attorney, because ultimately it'll be uh, To to obtain these documents will cost money. Um, There will be lawyers who who are on the payroll to fight the release of the documents, and then uh, if they do turn over the documents. the park district will have to pay legal fees or the um, state's attorney will have to pay, pay legal fees if a lawyer is involved. So it costs you pro- this this policy of keeping you in the dark, ladies and gentlemen, uh, not only keeps you in the dark, uh, but it ultimately uh, costs you money. I have a sense that you do not want to tell listeners what exactly you're working on in the state's attorney's uh, story. Am I correct in that?
0: Not you- yet. It's a secret, but stay tuned.
2: Okay, very good. Stay tuned. But uh, I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, that is something else. <laughs> Completely blacked out documents. Thanks for nothing, Kim Fox and Cook County State's Attorney's Office. Uh, all right. Um, one of the uh, other news stories of the week, the breaking story, uh, Rich Miller, shout out Rich Miller, uh, had to do with Paul Vallis and uh, the game he's been playing over the last three years with MAGA, a very curious game. Uh, Paul Vallis, now running for mayor, of course, claims to be a lifelong a Democrat. But for the last three years, uh, he's been consorting with all kind of MAGA forces in the state of Illinois uh, and uh, was a guest host of the Dan Prof show. Uh, Dan Prof, of course, is the, the far right, far, far right political strategist who's also a radio talk show host. It was the uh, uh, one of the architects behind Darren Bailey's unsuccessful gubernatorial campaign against uh Governor Pritzker in last year's gubernatorial election. Uh, And um, uh, Paul Vallis thought it was a good idea to sit in for Dan Prof when Dan was off uh, on his radio talk show and uh, teamed up with Amy Jacobson to denounce Governor Pritzker for dictatorial executive uh, orders uh, that shut down businesses or uh, force people to wear masks, et cetera, and so forth uh, at the height of COVID. And a very curious stance uh, that Paul Vallis took at the height of COVID again, very MAGA stance, very Ron DeSantis stance. Uh, He didn't go so far as to uh, denounce Dr. Fauci, at least I haven't seen any evidence that he went that far. Um, But he was right there in the midst of it. curious, not quite sure what was compelling him at the time, if he thought it was a good idea uh, to, um, if, if he had mayoral ambitions, maybe he didn't have mayoral ambitions right then. But he has since... Those moments, which were less than a year ago or about a year ago, uh, moved toward the center uh, and is pretending as though uh, he didn't say the things he said, didn't make the appearances, he said, and now some of his supporters are trying to twist it uh, into an advantage for the city of Chicago. Uh, So, for instance, Arnie Duncan, former uh, CEO of the Chicago Public Schools, followed Vallis in that position as a daily appointee, has announced that he will uh, vote for Paul Vallis on the grounds that somehow or other, because Paul Vallis is a right winger, uh, he could compel the Chicago uh, police rank and file uh, to police reforms that nobody else could. Interesting little take. I guess it's a variation of uh, Nixon going to China, which is ancient history for everybody except for baby boomers. President Nixon, vehemently uh, anti communist Republican politician in the 60s and the 70s, was the one who went to China uh, and um, brokered uh, uh, diplomatic relations with the Chinese government and uh, headed by Mao Zedong. uh, We seem to be determined to go back. Uh, on that front, I'm not going to get into the TikTok debate yesterday that uh, took place, and Congress will probably talk about that next week. Uh, but anyway, that's sort of the logic behind uh, Arnie Duncan's decision. Really curious little twist there, Arnie Duncan. Uh, I guess you can cook up any excuse uh, to endorse your old uh, daily era pal, uh, Arnie Duncan. Um, but that's how they're trying to twist this, uh, Kelly, uh, into a positive, if you will. Uh, his flirtations with maga um, you of course broke the story uh last summer in the the reader about his appearance at awake illinois uh, and then there's one i would like you to review that a little bit and talk about the element that i had forgotten about if i ever knew it at all and that uh awake illinois took down the video of of Vallis's appearance going to uh, explain to people what went down uh and uh, even and leading up to the video being taken down go ahead
0: yeah so in july i reported that paul Vallis attended a fundraiser by awake illinois which is a far right group par- characterized by a lot of people i don't want to get sued but they're a far right group um that is very critical of critical race theory of um, you know they advocate for school choice they're against COVID protocols in school and so Paul Vallis attended the fundraiser as one of the speakers, talking about school choice. Um, and again, this group is known for its homophobic, transphobic, um, anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. Um, it was it, that's not a surprise to anyone, right? And um, it was during during the reporting right before that um, they had essentially incited. Um, a hate crime towards a bakery in in, in the suburbs that was hosting a family friendly drag show. And so um, the video of Paul Vallis was up on their website because that's how we pulled quotes and, and details about it uh, for our story and then I didn't notice when it happened but I, I, I do believe it was after our story came out that that video was no longer available. Now, you know, if someone finds a video, please, you know, send it to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I haven't found that video again after we published that story. Um, and my guess, because Paul Vallis did distance or attempt to distance himself from awake after we published that story, is that he probably asked them to take it down, right? Um, I don't know if you saw Ben, but he um, probably did, but a, like a month ago after Paul Vallis, uh, you know, tried to distance himself from these groups, Awake, Illinois, kind of, you know, came out and they were like, no, he did attend that. Um, <laughs> you know, I think they were trying to, you know, s- sabotage his efforts to distance himself. Um, it, you know, they they definitely seem to, you know, feel a certain way about him. All of a sudden, uh, going back on his word, whatever that word was to them. But um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting seeing Paul Vallis's trajectory from flirting with the far right to trying to distance himself to getting coddled by the far right again it's you know it's a it's a game that he's he's playing and um you know sooner or later he's gonna have to fall into one bucket so yeah
2: well the the um the unknown is whether he will pay a political price for it uh so i've been thinking a lot about this uh kelly uh, I thought about, uh, the women's March that took place after Trump's, uh, was sworn in 2017, hundreds of thousands of women in downtown Chicago, uh, opposing the Donald Trump regime, uh, and many of the arguments, uh, many of the concerns and the fears that were, um, articulated during those protests, uh. Could easily be aimed and targeted at the people that Paul Vallis has been courting, the uh, anti-abortion zealotry of Jeannie Ives, the transphobic rhetoric of the Wake, Illinois, the uh, the so-called parental rights movement, which is really sort of like a camouflage to uh, force libraries to pull books that uh, people find objectionable, uh, force teachers uh, to um, not not to talk about sensitive subjects like quote unquote slavery uh to the far extreme in in uh, florida we see Rosa's parks uh, passages and, and textbooks talking about rosa parks being edited so that they don't mention the fact that she was asked to move to the forced to move to the back of the bus because she was a black woman so you take that out so it kind of loses all meaning as a historical story it's just well, why a, an inquisitive student would say well why would they want to move her to the back of the bus then what's a the teacher supposed to say You know, well, uh uh-oh. you know, I can't say that there were Jim Crow laws of segregation that uh, treated black people like they were inferior uh, and they were not allowed to sit with white people. And uh, they had to take the secondhand seats at the back of the bus or uh, up at the balcony of a theater. That's part of our history. But we're not allowed to teach that. So but we will allow a passage that say Rosa Parks was. Rosa Parks was great because she refused to move to the back of the bus, but they won't tell you what, why she was being asked to move to the back of the bus. So these are the allies that Paul Vallis has been courting over the last two years, appearing with, and I'm like, will he pay a price for it? I mean, because these are, like, during this time, this was a moment where I feel like liberal America was trying to take a stand for what it believed in. And it was under siege. And Paul Vallis didn't go to Wake, Illinois to denounce their rhetoric. He didn't go to Wake, Illinois and say, you know, Wake, Illinois, I think you've gone too far with your transphobic feelings. Or I think you've gone too far with your parents' rights movement. And you um, are now stifling the liberty of teachers to teach. He didn't challenge them when he went on the Genie Ives show. He kind of bought into it or looked the other way at the best. So I'm wondering, like, Will the people who took to the streets of Chicago to protest Trump and Trumpism, will they hold Dallas accountable at the voting booth uh, next week uh, for his alliances? I don't know the answer to that question. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Well, I mean, I'm just, you know, thinking about voter turnout for the first round youth turnout i mean the the young people in my age bracket 18 to 24 23 whatever 25 is it's down it's bad uh the people who came out to vote are the older people on the northwest on the southwest sides on the far southwest sides right um that 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 came out to vote um you know, and I think there's a lot of reason for that. I think there's disillusionment with the with the voting system, with the electoral process, um, which is rightfully so. Um, I think that there's not a lot of education around voting. Um, so it's, it's sad, but I don't I don't know, honestly, if the people turn out to the polls. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Uh, and we, I also, like I said, to accentuate this point, I do not know. Uh, if the people on the north side who probably will vote, who are so hardcore against Trump and Trumpism, will again hold Vallas accountable for his behavior over the last couple of years. All right, let's close it down, Kelly. Uh, your latest story. I uh, want you to talk a little bit about it.
0: Yeah, so Carlos Ballesteros and I from Injustice Watch recently published a story on a report that was published by Equip for Equality. And they are a legal advocacy nonprofit that get federal dollars to investigate and also advocate for people who are who have disabilities and are being abused by public institutions. So they published a report after a two-year-long investigation into the Cook County Juvenile Detention Center. Um, and the kids inside this detention center are mostly Black. Most of them have IEPs or individualized education programs. In other words, most of them have disabilities. Um, most of them are held pre trial. Um, and most of them are going in and out of the detention center, too. Um, Some have spent weeks, months there waiting, some have spent over a year waiting inside the detention center, some are in and out. There was one kid who was quoted in the report as having been at the detention center four times. Um, And what they found in their investigation is that there was excessive use of room confinement. Um, One one kid that they talked to said he spent 28 days in a behavior pod. Um, Another, a couple kids actually talked about a practice called sitting on the wall. In other words, um, once they're inside uh, a specific, a certain behavior pod, they are, they're then forced to sit outside of their cell, backs against the wall, against the wall, for up to at least 15 days until. You know, whoever the detention officials decide that they can, um, they can leave the behavior applied into the general population. Um, They also found that there was excessive use and violent use of restraint against children inside of the detention center. Um, There, they found um, kids talking about prone restraint. So in other words, when there are incidents, um, you know, if if two kids were misbehaving, if there was a fight, um, these guards that were called, that they call rovers, would show up and essentially place kids face down, stomachs down against the ground um, for who knows how long. And that's illegal. Um, they also found a lack of special education services, which we've also reported on in the past as well. Um, so a lot of people don't know this, but the Cook County Juvenile Detention Center literally has a school, a Chicago public school inside of the detention center, just like Cook County Jail. Cook County Jail also has a high school in there. Um, and that school, just like any other school, is required to follow federal laws that provide kids with disabilities special education services and other related services. And what they found is that that wasn't happening. Um, some kids IEPs had been you know, out of date for over a year. Um, some of them weren't receiving anything. There weren't special education teachers. Uh, teachers weren't licensed to teach special education at all. Um, And again, that's stuff that's been um, reported on in the past as well. And then finally, um, they also reported on the lack of physical accessibility for kids with disabilities inside the facility. So in other words, the cells um, that they are placed in don't have bathrooms or showers that are accessible for people who are in a wheelchair or for whatever reason just can't, um, just don't have that mobility. So, as a result of that report, the chief judge um, said that he is looking into the use of restraints. Um, he has acknowledged multiple times in the past that there is a excessive use of room confinement and that they're trying to reduce that. Um, but the superintendent of the detention center, Leonard Dixon, uh, you know, blanket denied all the claims in this report. Um, he said that it was a lot of disinformation that there was data that they misinterpreted, that there's kids that they are people that didn't talk to. um. And that's not entirely a surprise. No. Right. But he did acknowledge, I will say he did acknowledge that there is they do use too much room confinement and that they're working on that. But again, um, the solution that the that the watchdog uh, reports is that um, the detention center needs to close that's the solution that they call for the detention center should shut down and they should replace it with smaller um, more community focused um, centers in in neighborhoods that can you know rehabilitate um these kids that are you know they're being arrested for whatever reason um and that's you know it's explicit it's it's um i' you know i'm sure the chief judge sees it as a big ask but to me um i think it's feasible um The population at this detention center has been going down for decades. Um, There's, you know, usually around like 160 kids who are detained every day at the detention center. Um, So I absolutely think that they can start thinking of alternatives um, for helping rehabilitate um, these kids. Most of them who are between, you know, most some kids are 13, um, but most of them are between 13 and 18. So that's what we reported last week.
2: So I'm curious about this. I'm thinking about what uh, you just uh, riffed on. The accusation ahead of the detention center about uh, inaccuracies in the report. Let's just put that aside uh, for the moment and concentrate on, on the things that pretty much everybody works, They, they everybody agrees uh, taking place, like uh, room confinement or uh, sitting on the wall. So do they argue that there is... Uh, a rehabilitative end to that practice. In other words, like, people have said this to me in the past, Ben, you don't understand. When you're dealing with uh, kids who've run afoul of the law, you gotta be cruel, to be kind, and if you're tough with them, they'll benefit, they'll learn from it, they'll learn from the mistakes. So you make them sit against the wall for like a few hours, that'll wake them up, and then they'll leave the center, and they'll be productive citizens because you were cruel to them. I've heard people essentially say that. Uh, The other argument is, I cannot stand these kids. Uh, I just hate the sight of these kids. So I'm going to make their lives miserable uh, and punish them by making them sit against the wall or come find them the rule. And that'll teach them. Although I'm not quite sure how that'll help rehabilitate them. So do they make an argument that somehow or other being cruel to them is good for them?
0: The The chief judge, the detention center? Yes. No, I think that they also agree that, that, you know, a lot of these kids need proper re- rehabilitation. They need social workers, they need therapists, right? Um, I think that, their argument is one that there's constraints. Um, we heard that argument during COVID, uh, is that kids were isolated because it was COVID protocol, or because uh, you know they they just didn't have the the, the funding or whatever. Um, at one point, you know, when we were going back and forth with the chief judge's office, we asked them, you know, there, the the watchdog is saying that there isn't special education teachers, that they lack licensed professionals. Who can help these kids who have disabilities? And uh, the response we got from Chicago Public Schools is, "Well, there's no vacancies." So I don't know what you're talking about. The school is fully, fully funded. It's it's fully, uh, you know, they have all the resources that they need. Um, so I don't I don't think the argument is that they that they want to use punitive measures to, um, you know, help. You know, discipline these kids. I think that they genuinely don't believe a lot of these claims that they're finding in these investigations.
2: <laughs> they don't believe what they see in front of their eyes, right in front of their faces, I should say. Yeah. All right. I will close uh, with the question that uh, you got last time we were in the show. Every guest gets it. And uh, I always love asking this question. Because this, this sort of watch my uh, guests feel a little tortured. Uh, and that is this. Not who do you want to win the mayoral election. Do I am not, repeat, not asking you who you want to win the mayoral election. I am asking you, as if you're a gambler, and you're putting money down in Vegas, and you want to win that money, who do you think will win not who do you want to win who do you think will be the winner uh of that election probably the next time you come to the show will be after the election so who will be sort the mayor elect or the mayor of chicago uh in your humble opinion who do you think will win the election go
0: last time i was on your show i made a bet that brandon johnson was going to be in the runoff And Chewy, but I was wrong about that, but whatever. Brandon was in the runoff, and I was right about that. So I'm going to say Brandon Johnson's going to win. Do
2: you have a a particular reason for saying that?
0: There are campaigns on the ground. I see people knocking doors. I see people passing out flyers. I see people building relationships.
2: And I always say this when I have to confront this. My answer to that question is based on the last person I talked to. And when I talk to uh, people of the baby boomer generation, They all, Ben, you can't beat the man. Come on, Ben, what are you going to learn? No way Paul Vallis is going to lose. He's got the money behind him. Ben, wake up. He's got Jesse White's endorsement. Come on, Ben. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I get you right. (laughs) Then I talk to generally a younger person like yourself, and they go, Brandon Johnson's going to win. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense, Brandon Johnson. So, Kelly, I'm like that flag in the wind. (laughs) So. (laughs) If I had to go put money in Vegas, I would be, like, hedging my bets. Well, I'll bet here for Brandon. But, but lately, putting that aside, more and more I'm coming to think that you, you're you right. More and more I'm coming to think, like, the younger people may have something here. Uh, and that ground game is a real deal. Those old fogies, those old boomers, they're not going out door to door. They're sitting around going, the old days. Hey, huh. <laughs> they're like, Tom Tony speaks for me. The North Side's been neglected. Come on, Northsiders. Even you are embarrassed by that one. You gotta admit you're embarrassed. You're Tom Tony goes, we're neglected. So anyway, right now, Kelly Garcia, I think you may be on to something. So when this show's over, I'm gonna go drop hundred bucks on Vegas. Uh <laughs> Kelly Garcia bet. Uh and uh Brandon Johnson. Uh right now that's where I'm 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 sitting too. Uh, Kelly, thank you so much. Folks want to get in touch with you for any reason. They want to give you scoop. Want to give you advice on how to get the state's attorney to uh, unredact those redacted uh, documents that you want. How do they get a hold of you?
0: Kelly Garcia at injusticewatch.org. I'm also available on Twitter. Kelly Garcia on Twitter. You can find me. And then, yeah, happy to talk to anyone.
2: All right. Very good. That's great. Kelly Garcia. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Also want to thank producer Chris does an outstanding job every day. Producer Chris. Give yourself a raise. Take
1: it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. Don't forget, you can download previous Ben Jirowski shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, columns from Ben Jirowski, and so much more at chicagoreader.com. And follow Ben Jirowski all over the internet on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.